Welcome to the podcast for pet carers. If you're a pet parent or work in the pet care industry, then this is the podcast for you. Our show is about all things pet care, discussing everything from cats and kittens, dog training, pet nutrition, boarding, grooming, daycare, and much more. Join us fortnightly as our host and dog trainer extraordinaire, Glenn Cook, chats with leading pet industry professionals. Hello and welcome back to episode two of the podcast for pet carers. My name is Glenn Cook. I will be the host of your show. And today I'm really excited to introduce Dr. Rainbow Nye, who's from Aussie Mobile Vet. And in conjunction with being a vet herself, she's also got a diploma in veterinarian acupuncture, which is quite exciting. And we're not actually here to talk about acupuncture, even though we can. What we are here today to talk about is canine cough, or otherwise unfortunately known as kennel cough. What Dr. Rainbow is going to talk to us about is all of the details about canine cough. Because she actually comes out and she's mobile on the road, not only treating people in their homes, but also coming out to businesses as well. We thought it would be a great conversation to bring her in and have a chat about it. So welcome, Dr. Rainbow. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Rainbow. Hi, Glenn. Hi. Great to have you. As uh, Thank you for a, having me. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. No, that's all good. It's exciting. It's my first time to be on a podcast. So, Well, that is exciting itself, that's isn't cool. it? That's yeah. Yes. Let's start at the beginning. How long have you been a vet for now? Oh, it will be my eighth year. Eighth year? Yeah. Wow. It's quick. And yeah. yes, I've been being a vet for eight years now and being an acupuncture vet for five years. Yeah. Mm. What made you decide to get into being a acupuncturist as a veterinarian? Right. It's just mainly because I have Chinese as my background. Mm-hmm. When I was young, when I was sick, we get acupuncture. Yep. So I see how strong it is. Mm-hmm. I see the impact improvements in myself so I believe this is something that's real it's working mm-hmm. and when I got in touch into acupuncture in vetville in the vet industry I found this is really cool and yep. it helps a lot of patients that doesn't get improvement with the normal vet medicine mm-hmm. so that's why I took on the course yep. and here I came well, you don't have to convince me of it at all because I'm a true believer in acupuncture I've oh. had it on myself multiple times mm-hmm. uh, for different things yeah There were people in the early days who used to believe that acupuncture was part of the woo-woo cycle, that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just sticking needles in and what function does it have? But the Chinese culture have been using it for hundreds of years. Thousands. Thousands of years. There you go. So you'd know more than me on that. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but there's a lot more science that's actually been investigated into acupuncture more recently because people are finding that profoundly it's working and they're Mm -hmm. getting results. I also will add to that that Norelle and I with Ladybug, who you know is our little French bulldog. Oh, yes. Yeah, she had a spinal embolism, terrible situation, which almost resulted in us having to put her to sleep. However, we opted to have the operation. It didn't go as well as they thought it would be. She lost the control of her back legs and everything like that. However, we went and saw a acupuncture specialist called Neil Barnsley. Have you heard of Neil before? No, no, no. Absolute gem of a guy. Mm-hmm. And Neil had a good look at her and he said, I believe that with some treatment we will get her walking again. He said, I don't know if we were able to totally restore her deep pain, but he said, um, or that nervous system, 
And he said, but I'm absolutely confident Mm -hmm. that we will get her up on her legs again. And uh, she can run and walk. Yeah. So went went from total cataclysmic effect of never walking again and and possibly having to put her to sleep to she can toilet herself. We got told we would have to express her. There were just a bunch of things. So it was a really, it was an emotional roller coaster and a financial drain. But just great results. And to be honest, without Neil's support, it would have been different an, outcome. I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think so. So that's exciting. Before we get into the canine cough discussion, tell us some of the things that you treat regularly with canine acupuncture or I guess feline as well. Do you yeah, do feline? Yeah, we do feline as well. But canine usually take the therapy better. Yeah. Just more tolerating compared to cats. I was going to say. And <laughs> they will run away or, you know, give you a scratch, you know, that sort of thing. But I yep. do treat cats. I have, yep. you know, a few really good patients as well. Yeah. But, yeah, with dogs, usually we treat hip dysplasia, mm-hmm. spinal pain. Yeah. Of course, the IVDD, which means the slip disc problem mm-hmm. in particular like pug, dashi, the sort of breeds. I did have a case that I treat last year. It was very exciting. A stroke dog. Oh. The owner was so close to put the dog down and their regular vet recommended to try acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I gave it three sections. I've never seen them again. But I did get videos of the dog running around. How exciting. It's super happy. Like I almost have tears in my eyes because mm. I'm like, this is crazy. It's just through a few needles. Yep. Three sections, not even over an hour. Mm-hmm. There we go. They'll get back on feet again, running around. Many, many years ago, I had a, a martial arts injury, which was a hyperextended elbow. Mm. And um, it was terribly painful and it was causing me a lot of problems, sleep deprived. There were a bunch of problems, you know, like numbness and tingling in my yep. fingers. And the doctors at that stage were almost considering wanting to do surgery because they were mm-hmm. looking at it and saying, you know, like you might have like a, a kind of carpal tunnel yep. and we might have to do surgery and right. it doesn't improve. It was driving me crazy. It was like my hand going to sleep all the time. Mm-hmm. And I went and saw a acupuncturist yep. and they said, we believe that there's no chi or no energy flowing uh, through your elbow. And I think within two to three sessions, I, I had 95% restoration and function back oh. in my arm again. And it was crazy how it, it didn't hurt the needles going in and they did warn me. They said, you probably experience a little bit of pain sensation as yep, it starts yep, yep. to heal because there's blockage there at the moment. Yeah, yep. And yeah, the next day it was very painful and the next session I had, I, I thought, maybe this is feeling better. Mm. And then the next session I had, a couple of days later, it was crazy. It was almost like you completely restored. Back. Yeah, oh, I got yeah. my arm back and, and, <laughs> and completely restored and took away all the pain. So That's pretty cool. Well, I got to avoid surgery and I was really impressed oh, that, by of it. Of course. Mm. Um, the other thing I have got in my mind, it's my sister. She got injury from tennis, play, um, sorry, badminton playing. Mm-hmm. A shuttle court hit her eyeball, bleeding. And she has trouble seeing after the injury for three months. Wow. So hard to focus. She can see shadows in her eye. She was only 12 at that time. Mm-hmm. So the doctors are like, sorry, we don't really have any treatment for that. We may have to live with this for the rest of the life. My mom took my sister to acupuncture, mm-hmm. two sections, 100% back. Wow. Yeah. So my sister is very, like, she was scared of acupuncture to start with. She was skeptical. She was like, how can the needle fix my eyeball, mom? That mm. doesn't make sense. But when she see the result, she's like, okay, we'll go back to acupuncture next time, mom. Because she see the immediate improvement from the first needle. Yep. She's like, mom, I will go back for the second and the third. And she, um, she doesn't need any follow-up now. 
I was actually watching this documentary the other day. I think it was on Netflix and it was talking about medical practices and they, they were talking about acupuncture. And I believe that one of the practitioners who was also a research scientist got on there and was talking about when the needle goes in mm-hmm. and the type of needle and the, the depth that it goes into, into the skin, that it creates almost like a naturally forming steroid in the body Mm -hmm. that it forces the immune system around the area to start to activate Mm. and starts to get the nerves to communicate. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting in itself. So I don't know anything about acupuncture other than its needles going into your skin at at different meridian points. Mm -hmm. So I know that much, but that's about where my knowledge is limited. Is there anything that you could enlighten me on? So pretty much like when needles goes in, mm-hmm. our body start to release this sort of um, neurotransmitter. Yep. So serotonin, a few different happy neurotransmitter in mm-hmm. your body. So to start with, you make it super relaxed. Yep. So how animal it is, I put this point right into near their forehead. Mm-hmm. They have this serotonin release from that point mm-hmm. and they start to just sit down for me. And after that, this serotonin is also good for pain. Um, relief. Okay. So that's how we work on pain relief as well. Mm-hmm. And combining different points, they do different things. So if, let's say, if it's a patient that has acute inflammation, let's say I roll my ankle, mm-hmm. I have super swollen joint, I need the blood to go away because otherwise that puffiness will keep staying there. Mm-hmm. So we use different methods and putting needles in for longer to get rid of those pulled up blood in the area and stop the fresh blood going into the spot to contribute to more pain and more inflammation. On the other hand, if we have like chronic disease where we don't have enough chi and blood in the area, mm-hmm. we need to put needles in for only a good 10, 15 minutes to stimulate blood going back into the area and nerve will go back in as well. So they start to regenerate on their own, mm-hmm. like turn on the renew button. Pretty much that's how I explain to my clients how acupuncture, you know, needles by doing different angle, different depth, different time, they do different healing. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool, you know, just one method, but the way, you know, how long and the way you deliver it, it makes a difference in terms of the treatment outcome. As I said before, I'm an absolute true believer in the concept of acupuncture and I've seen the effects myself countless Mm. times, not only on myself and our own dog Ladybug, but also Mm. on friends and colleagues and other people who've had their pets treated in the industry. I don't know anyone who's come back after a session who's stuck with the regiment of doing it properly who's come back and said it doesn't work or it Mm. didn't, didn't give me any relief or any effect. In fact, I've had people coming back saying, that's interesting. Mm. Uh, and that was that's always the the discussion that we have around it. But uh, I don't know if you can see, but I've got a little... Oh, chi. Yeah, I've got the Chinese character yeah, of chi, chi um, yeah. tattooed on my wrist. It's a long story. It's not only got to do with my belief of chi as the energy of life, but also I was taught a valuable lesson when I was doing a martial art called Kung Fu. We had a practitioner come out from mainland China mm-hmm. who was coming to grade some of the higher belts. Yeah, long story short, I was supposed to be doing a, a form called the Silum Tao, uh, mm-hmm. which is I've heard that. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the beginning and the end of the whole existence of kung fu. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to cheat my way through it to get to the top, and he noticed, and he came and he gave me a schooling lesson, and I never forgot it. And I always look at I got this tattoo on my ah. wrist because it always makes me think of the importance of doing things right, mm-hmm. and 
also that there is a high purpose in the in the universe with with energy and yeah, good you know, energy. Yeah, good energy. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. We've came very in here to talk. Yeah, we came in here to talk about canine cough, and we got <laughs> very philosophical about the energy of life. Yeah, but it's important, right? Like, oh yes, of you course. know, not only as a vet, but also people who care about animals or even just ourselves. Mm. People don't realize that energy is is a real thing. Yeah, I think the problem for a lot of people is there's been so many people who exploited it throughout history mm-hmm. that makes it confusing and difficult, and that's where a lot of people think, oh, now I'm skeptical. Because there's a lot of people that are trying to profiteer off off treatments. Mm. Mm. I guess it's also a good way for us to remember there's always an alternative way. Mm. Not just in the, as for me, it's like vet medicine. It's not just about giving drugs, antibiotics and pain relief. But there's also an alternative way. How can we restore an animal from the beginning by, you know, better food, better lifestyle, good chi flow in the animal. I keep telling my client, you need to keep your dog walking. You need to put your dog in the sun so that we get the good young energy, that yes. sort of thing. So I guess that's another thing, you know, how we appreciate life by doing something starting from basic and, you know, keep everyone happy in that way. I appreciate that, Rainbow. I think that's really a great and a holistic way of looking at mm-hmm. things because you don't get sidelined or get a one-track mind of thinking there is only one way to treat illness. Yep. And unfortunately, I think that when you get institutionalized sometimes, you can think, there's only one way to do it and that's the way that the school taught me to do it or mm-hmm. the doctrine explained it to me. So I value that when people not only have qualifications and have done the study and the research on on what traditional science tells them, mm-hmm. but they're also not afraid to look outside that as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, since we brought you in to talk about <laughs> canine cough, let's yep. talk a little bit about that because as you know, We've got a boarding kennel Mm -hmm. and you come out as our treating veterinarian. Some of the times that you're here, you'll be here to treat canine cough. That's right. This is a background for people who are listening to this podcast. With canine cough, in the industry, especially for boarding kennels, it gets targeted as kennel cough. Dogs don't just get canine cough from being in kennels. They get it from being at dog parks. They can get it from visiting a vet clinic. They can get mm-hmm. it from being in their own backyard. If the human's got any saliva on them, if they've been touching or in Correct. contact with any other dogs. Literally one of my dogs many years ago got canine cough from me having saliva on me from another dog that licked my leg and the dog was sniffing and licking at the same spot and mm-hmm. got subsequently got canine cough from that. That's the only way that we can absolutely come up with any transmission that the mm-hmm. dog would have caught it from the other dog because they weren't for that period of time, they weren't in contact with any other dogs. I was the... Factor. Yeah, I was the factor. Mm. What The typhoid Mary, I guess you're calling it, of the transmission, mm. bringing it into the dogs. Yeah. So when dogs come into kennels and they get canine cough, people get angry about it and they mm. think that the kennel has either A, not cleaned, mm-hmm. or B, that they have deliberately not told people that they've got canine cough, but sometimes the kennels don't even know that the dogs are asymptomatic, have come in and left and then gone home. Mm -hmm. But that might not be the reason that they got canine cough as well. Sometimes that can be convenient that they think, well, the dog was at the kennels. Yes, we went to a dog park in between and Mm -hmm. yes, we've been to other locations, but because it's now got canine cough a couple of days later, it's got to be the fault of the kennel. Now, there is a high probability that when dogs are in large social circles, that's where it's going to spread. And if anything, we as a society have learned that about COVID. We now know how easy COVID spreads, especially since 
Omicron came in and they opened up freedoms a lot more and they allowed a lot more movement and they've said to people, well, it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. Now, we've learned the same things with COVID as we've known in, in the pet care industry for a long time. The two are very much the same sort of thing. Very similar. But I'm going to be quiet Mm. now because I want to hear from you (laughs) and you're the expert in this area and I'd love to hear your thoughts around it. So with canine cough, it's actually a very complex disease because it's not just about bacteria or virus. It's also a lot of environmental and pulse effect contributing to the um, respiratory issue. So our dog usually get vaccinated with Bordetella Mm -hmm. and also parainfluenza virus Mm -hmm. to get into the kennel. But we know that with this disease, the canine cough is actually contributed by potentially another 10 type of virus or bacteria. Yeah, I just saw you bring in that research and, <laughs> and show it to me and I couldn't believe how many different yeah, names are. Yeah, so I'm just name a few. We have canine adenovirus, canine herpes virus, canine coronavirus, canine parainfluenza, canine respiratory influenza virus as well. So we have multiple virus that can contribute to the disease, but our dogs only get vaccinated for the two mm. that I have mentioned earlier. Again, a lot of dogs may probably carry certain virus in the respiratory tract without mm-hmm. any symptoms. But when they go into the kennel, see another dog, the other dog have never contact, let's say one of the coronavirus canine form. If they have never contacted a coronavirus, they may pick it up and they will develop the cough. Mm. Unfortunately, this cough usually get called a kennel cough. I guess it's just unfair because we can pick this up at the park, someone's driveway. Mm-hmm someone's backyard where you have a few dogs mixed together and they've never contacted certain virus and we just pick up from the other dog's saliva. And to be honest, we have actually renamed this virus. We don't call it kennel cough anymore. We are calling it canine infectious respiratory disease complex because we have so many um, potential pathogens, a lot of um, other factors that contribute to the disease. So we have to slowly change our you know, how we call this disease, we shouldn't be calling it kennel cough, but mm. maybe canine cough respiratory complex will be the way to start with. Quite a mouthful there. Yeah, maybe we just go canine cough, makes it easier. Yeah, well, I've known it as canine cough for a long period of time. Mm. And it, I mean, that's even part of the vaccine group that they were calling it is, you know, canine cough mm-hmm. um, vaccinations. But as you said, you know, people pair it with a kennel because they believe that, oh, my, if my dog goes to a kennel, it's going to get canine cough. Mm. Well, as you said, you know, like when you're in social circles, there is the heightened chance that it's going to happen. However, as I've said before, and the examples I've given, and so many people that I know have got canine cough with their dogs when they've never been anywhere near a dog park and they haven't been near a kennel Mm. and literally their social circles are small. So they might go to a small dog training club Mm -hmm. and they might get it from there. Because it only takes one dog to have it and cough or even be asymptomatic and shed We might talk about that a little bit, the shedding side of things, Mm -hmm. because I think not many people know what that means as far as spreading infection, because they're now using that in COVID where they're talking about people who are asymptomatic will still shed the the COVID virus. What's shedding? How can we best explain that? So any droplets. So Mm -hmm. imagine dog salivas, the nasal discharge, or even ocular discharge means the eye discharge. Mm-hmm. We know how our dogs like to lick everything. Mm-hmm. So I think saliva will be, the, will be the biggest one. They just love licking each other. They lick the grass. They lick my hand. And someone else can pick it up by licking my hands again. So I think saliva will be the biggest one. And of course, the other one will be the nasal as they 
sneeze, yes. as they cough, as they bark, those discharges go into the air. They turn into tiny droplets and just, you know, they fly, you know, meters away within mm. the seconds because they are just so tiny in the tiny particle form. So the other way of getting it is just by, you know, airborne. We breathe it in. I saw this, like it was like a 3D diagram of a person in a room. This was at the height of COVID when it first came out mm-hmm. and it was showing a person in a room sneezing, yeah. um, like it was like a computer simulation and it had other people in the room and it was showing when this person sneezes how the droplet, like they showed it as this red sort of. Oh, the red dots thing. Yeah, red mm. dots. So it was like this spray pattern that would come out of the person's mouth and nasal passage and like disperse amongst the room. And it would show how long it would last in the room. So it had a timer on the bottom. Right. And it would it was a simulation, as I said, but it would show how long this actual discharge in the air would last for. Then they would put certain barriers in place and show what would happen if a window was open or a, there were people in a doorway or it was to heighten the two-metre social distancing rule because it said if people are two metres away, mm. you're less likely to come into it by the time the droplets land and yeah. disperse into the ground or wherever it is. And I found that quite interesting because we never take into consideration the same thing with dogs when they're sneezing and coughing or mm. doing anything like that. Now that we've talked about shedding being dispersed either by sneezing or coughing Mm -hmm. is it also possible to pass it on in urine and feces less likely because again this is a respiratory complex Mm -hmm. if they come out through the urine or fecal matter unlikely they will transport to you know from the respiratory tract going Mm -hmm. down to your urinary or you know intestinal tract that's unlikely to happen i know in human the coronavirus can be picked up in the fecal matter Mm -hmm. but we know that some people at least one of my friends she has gastro symptoms Mm -hmm. with the corona because they have mutated so many form now but luckily with our infectious respiratory coughing complex they don't really have a gastro sign or Mm. urinary sign so i don't believe they will shed in urine or fecal matter. Mm. That's interesting because with a lot of these things, when you're talking canine cough, COVID, anything that's like a respiratory infection, not only is there facts around it, but there's also misinformation around it as well. So Mm. like I'm interested to know things like that because people have basically said that if a dog poos on the ground and another dog sniffs it, then it can get like a respiratory infection from that. But I thought now that I've got you here, Rather than believe any of the misinformation, it's better to ask from the source themselves of somebody who's educated in this and who is treating it as well. So that's interesting to know. Mm. Again, I don't believe that will be the way. But of course, don't forget how dogs are like. They love sniffing each other's poo. Yes. So what about dog A sniff the poo and drop some of the virus? Mm -hmm. Dog B walked in and picked up the respiratory virus and they pick up that way. There you go. That's that a, a that's plausible. Chance. I don't think the poop itself will carry the virus that can contribute to the direct respiratory infection. Mm. So it's usually around the respiratory tract itself, like breathing in and out through the nose and mouth that exactly. are causing this problem. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. And that's a lot more plausible for me when I'm starting to think about it, that yes, dogs are sniffing and licking at things that they shouldn't be. I mean, in our (laughs) society, it's disgusting, but to dogs, it's normal. It's a normal way of... They socialise that way. Yeah, that's right. They do. That's part of their social network. Yeah. That's the Facebook of dogs. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) That's a nice one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now that we know a little bit more about the transmission side of canine cough, or what was that other term that you 
The canine infectious respiratory disease complex. Canine infectious respiratory disease complex. What mm. a mouthful. Yes. Yep. So hopefully they'll shorten that down to something. They're shortening it to a C-I-R-D-C, so they just take the... Just the first, yeah, first letters. Yeah, letter. Of, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm sure people will continue to call it, hopefully not kennel cough after they've listened to this, but probably canine cough. Canine cough, yeah. That will be a better way. So how do we treat it? What do we do? Let's say, for example, a dog has been vaccinated and still gets it, which is most likely to happen anyway. So mm-hmm. as you said, there's two types of vaccine, which is the border teller and the influenza that usually form part of what we know in the industry as a C5, yep. which covers everything else from distemper, parvovirus and... Hepatitis. Hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that makes up the five of the C5, which which is the two... Respiratory. Res- respiratory ones as well. Mm-hmm. But as you've now pointed out, there's like six or seven more that are floating around there that are not part of that vaccine. Mm-hmm. However, even with the vaccine, it's not going to totally eliminate that they're going to get some of these other forms. It may, it's probably like COVID. So we're in the same situation with COVID where they, you know, the vaccine themselves doesn't entirely stop people from getting COVID or passing it on or having the symptoms, but they say it reduces the symptoms symptoms and Mm -hmm. the severity of it. So Let's say, for example, somebody's gone off, they've got themselves vaccinated, and yet the dog still comes back with one of these respiratory... The cough with the cough. With a cough. Yeah. What do we do? How do we treat it? Okay. So it depends on how severe is the cough and if the animal is showing other symptoms. Let's say, are we having a fever? Are we having trouble eating? Are we having um, breathing difficulties? Because most of the time, majority of my patients, they are just having a cough. Mm. They are happy as usual. They eat well. They are still running around. They just have that cough, mm-hmm. the honking cough, people will call it. With those just the cough patient, we pretty much don't need treatment because it's a self-limiting condition. Mm. Usually within three, four days, they will get better on their own. Right. Okay. Some other patient, unfortunately, they may get systemically unwell, which means they may have a fever and they don't want to eat. In that sort of cases, we might give anti-inflammatory just to help with the temperature. Mm-hmm. It's more like a supportive care. Just right. like as if I get COVID, if I have a fever, I take something to reduce my temperature, make mm-hmm. me feel better. To, but to fight the virus is still by my own immunity. Yep. So it's all about strengthening the animal immunity by giving nursing care, good nutrition, that sort of thing. In very unusual case where animal actually develop a pneumonia, those patients will need to get antibiotic, more intensive treatment, or maybe they need to put on a trip. But this is very rare, to be honest. I've to be honest, I've never seen one in my life touch wood. Well, that's good to know because that is some of the concerns that people that have I've had feedback with have said it could possibly turn into pneumonia. I mean, I've never known a dog that's got canine cough myself in 30 years and got pneumonia from it, unless mm. it's been a really old dog that has other issues as well. Correct. Like I said, there's good information out there and there's misinformation. There is about everything else. Mm. You know, like you pick a topic and there's good information and there's misinformation. But I guess this is important for people who don't actually know much about canine cough and have really had no real experience from it. Because I remember the first time my one of my dogs, I had a Rottweiler that got canine cough and it was absolutely distressing for me mm-hmm. to be honest to hear it for the first time the honking now, cough well it wasn't so much the, just the honking cough itself it was the fact that the dog kept throwing up bile 
and oh. was like and was making yeah, the honking cough was there, but it was throwing up bile at the same time. And I thought, oh, my dog's choking on something, like it's mm-hmm. got something in its throat. I rang the vet and an absolute panic and a flap. And the vet said, it sounds like canine cough to me, what you're describing, but bring it down. The vet that I had back then, good guy called Murray Clark, he used to work in a place called Kilsyth in Victoria. When I was speaking to him on the phone, he said, tell me what's happening. And I, I got him to listen to the dog. And he said, Glenn, it sounds like canine cough. It's exactly the same sort of symptoms. The dog has got this dry, raspy, honking sort mm-hmm. of cough. He said that, you know, like sometimes it's the same with us. You cough so much, you gag, and then you can bring up bile. And he said, the dog's not throwing up, right? Like there's not food coming up. And I said, no, it's mm. like white spittle. Foamy Yeah, stuff, white yeah. foamy spittle. And he said, that's canine cough in my opinion, but bring the dog down, I'll check. Took the dog down, had a look at the dog, and he said, it's canine cough. And I said, what do I do? What do I do? And I was beside myself. And he said, honestly – the best thing you do is stop your dog from running around and give your dog Benadryl dry. That's what his idea was. He said, just get the same Benadryl that you use for yourself with a cough, yep. the dry formula, and he said, and just give your dog 10 mil of Benadryl down its throat. Mm. I don't know if you prescribed that. He said that will work fine. That will reduce the soreness in the throat and the the want to do the, the cough all the time. Right. And he said the same thing. He said, within three to five days, you should find the symptoms go away. If they don't, let's talk again. Mm. And they did. They went away. The dog was fine after that. Now, subsequently, if I've seen it in my dogs and my dogs periodically get it, we're in a situation where if somebody does bring canine cough in and I go and handle the dog or something like that and forget to miss myself down with all the precautions, then, you know, I I will periodically pass it on to my dogs and they will get it. Um, mm. But now when I hear it, I just think, oh, well, it'll be over in a couple of days. It's, exactly. It's 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 annoying and it's frustrating and it's inconvenient, but it's not life-threatening and they're not going to die and they're going to be fine. Mm. What are your thoughts on treatment plans for aftercare? Let's say, for example, when they get the cough. The cough. Yeah. What are your thoughts around that? What would you suggest? I think if you're worried, always see a vet in yep. case it's not the canine cough. It yeah. might be something else. It might be a cardiac heart. Cardiac, yeah. yeah. Other issues. So always go to your vet if you're not sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and for me, I usually, depending on how bad is the cough, if the dog is coughing up flame and mucusy stuff, foamy stuff all the time, of course I want to stop the cough because it's, it's actually quite tiring for the dog to just keep coughing because there's something itching the throat. Mm-hmm. So I'll give anti-cough for yep. them. What sort of anti-cough would you usually recommend? Uh, I usually have the cough complex in my vein, yep. you know, uh, in my little fridge. It's yep. pretty much like a codeine mix oh, nice. um, to help with the cough. Yep. But most of the time, if the animal is handling it okay, the owner is okay with it, I don't give medication. Mm. We just talk about, okay, how to nurse this dog well. Yep. You know, good food, maybe softer food, just yep. to reduce that sort of irritation in the throat as they eat. Plenty of water, make sure they, they, they drink plenty of water mm. as usual, not going out to the park anymore for the next week or so yep. because we don't want to spread. We don't want them to be overexcited because the overexcitement can make them cough more. You know this sounds exactly like coronavirus, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's all about nursing ourselves and yeah. nursing the dog. Mm. Of course, if you see your dog is getting deterioration, starting to you know stop eating properly, we have really bad energy level, then you might need to see your vet if the disease deteriorating. That's great advice, Rainbow. And I completely concur with what you said because we're not vets. Mm. None of us are, like me and my staff aren't, and that's why we get you out or tell our clients to go and see their local vet if Mm. there is a concern. 
we don't even try and diagnose a dog if we're not if, like if we can't physically see what the problem is. Exactly. Like if it's not a cut or it's not a, a bump or anything like that. And even so, we would say we're not vets. We recommend that we speak to you or we speak to somebody who would be able to best diagnose that mm. and give best industry knowledge on what the actual incident is. So we're the same. Like if people ring us up and say, hey, my dog is making this sound or it's doing this weird behavior and it's not a training related behavior, but a like a physically induced behavior, we would generally say, go and see your vet because you're right. I have known people before who've had a coughing dog that's been a cardiac issue. Yeah. Because people have rang me before and said, oh, I've got this elderly dog. Every time it's walking, it seems like it's out of breath and it's coughing. Right. And I said, it sounds like canine cough, but it could also be something different. Yeah. And I don't want to alarm them or, you know, raise any alarm bells, but I usually say, go and see your vet. Just because of your dog's age and everything, mm. it just sounds like it's it needs to go and see a vet. And the one person I remember recently that I did that rang up and said, hey, thanks, the vet found an, an issue with the dog's heart and was able right. to monitor it and, and medicate it. Yeah. And uh, we, we've got the dog back on track again now. So I think it's, it's – important. It's, mm. It is important. Mm. It's, it's very good advice that if it's unknown and it's persistent or you're concerned is speak to your vet. Definitely. Like without a proper examination, it's very hard for me to just diagnose over the phone and say, hey, this is a canine cough. We always have to go there, listen to the chest, listen to the heart, look at the dog itself mm-hmm. so that we can make a proper diagnosis. So, yeah, it's it's quite important to get the diagnosis right mm. because if we miss the chance to treat the heart patient, just like what you said. That could be miss- diabolical. Exactly. Mm. We don't want to miss that. So a good note for people who are listening to the podcast is that if you do hear things like, it sounds like almost like a honking sound, like a like a large goose sort of hacking or honking, mm-hmm. and it can be a really sort of a chesty sort of honk, and sometimes it's followed by like a spittle, the dog doing like a throwing up action, but only bringing up like a small amount of bile. It's a good chance it's canine cough, but if unknown and if you're concerned about it, definitely speak to your vet about it and they Absolutely. may recommend a short course of antibiotics or something like that. Mm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on antibiotics for treating canine cough? Look, as I look at the list, we have all this virus yep. contributing to this complex. Antibiotic doesn't treat virus. Right. When we have virus, just like coronavirus, yep. it's all by our own immunity. Yep. Okay. So don't get angry at your vet if they are not giving you antibiotic mm. because antibiotic is not going to fix most of the canine cough because it's not contributing by bacteria. Okay. So good to know. Yeah. So don't, I have clients telling me why you are not giving me antibiotic, but my previous vet was giving me antibiotic for the canine cough. And I explained this to her and she's like, oh, so we might be over, you know, abusing the antibiotic when, you know, we just easily hand out antibiotic with canine cough situation. So um, that's something I think everyone should be aware of. Like, just like us, we don't get antibiotic for coronavirus. However, if we get into complex case, let's say we get pneumonia and stuff, we might need the antibiotic. Of course, this is going to be described by your vet based on the uh, you know experience and what they observe over there because the virus can open up or damage the airway and just mm. like open the door welcome all these other 
bacteria um, bacteria to mm. join into the body. Yeah. So usually if this happening, the dog usually get quite sick yes. and they have more symptoms, mm. more mucus discharge or even nasal discharge with yellow or green stuff coming out through the nose. Right. In those cases, that's the time we will use antibiotics. That makes sense. Mm. That, see, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. And that goes in line with my own GP, my doctor. He's very reluctant to give out antibiotics. Mm. And to be honest, I'm reluctant to take them. So I will take them if it's necessary. Um, but he will do everything in his power to not give you antibiotics. He will usually suggest things like losing weight, taking vitamins, drinking more water, yep. reducing rest. stress, rest. Rest, yes. Yeah, a lot of those sort of things before he will hand out medicines. Exactly. But if he needs to, he will, which is refreshing to know. Yeah, so – Again, we are in this society where we overuse antibiotics. So mm. now is the time we need to wake up and only use it as required. So I guess that's an, some sort of heads up to all these listeners out there. Don't get upset when your vet is not giving you medication because we think your dog has good immunity and strong enough to fight against this virus yep. and always communicate with your vet. One thing I'm going to close on there, Rainbow, is be nice to your vet full stop. There's a lot mm. of people in the industry, clients, who are, are really not nice to their vets and it's one of the most stressful occupations that you could imagine. Vets get targeted with a lot of bullying and a lot of very hardline abuse. It's also an industry which takes a very big toll on suicide. Mm. A lot of vets have taken their life and a lot of vets have contemplated taking their life based on the physical demands of the job and the stresses that are induced on them by some very mean customers and there are a lot of very lovely customers. So I don't want you to think that I'm bracketing you if you're listening <laughs> to this and saying you're a mean person because there are so many good people that treat their vets well, but it's a hard job and it's a very thankless job. Sometimes you have no idea the amount of hours that vets have to work and what they take away with them too. So if you can choose to be anything, be kind. I yeah. think that's the best way to do it and understand that your vet is not your enemy and they're not there to rip you off and they're trying their best and the advice that they're giving you. And if, look, if you're not happy, get a second opinion. At the end of the day, if you're that unhappy, rather than turn the knives onto the vet, just say thank you and go elsewhere. Yeah. I really think that's an important message to take on board. I was actually, I've been to quite a few industry functions where they've talked about the abuse and I've actually seen evidence of, of, of recorded abuse where vets have been treated in hostile situations. So I think people need to rethink that mm. and, and look after their vets a little bit better. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think it's a very important message. And I guess with social media now, it's better. We can, you know, send the message out saying we are exhausted. We mm. are getting abused. I start to see more awareness out there about how vets should be looked after as well because we look after your pet, but at the same time, we need to look after ourselves too. Exactly. Um, and again, don't don't always think we are your enemy. We are, you know, we are working together to help your animal to feel better. And you're That's human and you've got feelings too. Exactly. Yeah. So thanks for that. That's, oh, it's um, a pleasure. Yeah, very sweet. Yeah. Well, it's necessary and I think in the industry we all need to look after each other. Mm. It's a good circle of people that need to think a little bit about what they're doing. You know, like if you're a business owner, if you're a vet and you're a client, we still can learn to be kind to each other and listen to each other. I mean, sometimes when we do get dogs that have got canine cough, we get angry clients mm. who – the level of abuse and hostility that comes back from them. And a lot of people in the industry that I talk to, it doesn't matter where they are in the world. Mm. You can go to any part of the world, any business that's involved in pet care, 
the hostility and the level of rage that comes back from people is unfounded sometimes. Mm. Like they can be so abusive to the young girls on the phone and treat them so badly. And yes, they're upset. And yes, the pet is their friend and companion and their fur baby. Mm. And they're a pet parent. And we we all get that. Yeah. But I still believe that we can talk to each other so much better because just like the abuse that some of the vets get, which is intolerable, it happens to some of the resort staff as well. They get some of the most abusive and outrageous feedback mm. over things that are literally out of their control. Right. Like they can't do anything about it. And literally there's nothing that anybody in another situation could do. If you have a client that comes in who is asymptomatic, like a person with COVID who walks into a cafe Mm -hmm. who's asymptomatic and they give five or six other people COVID, like a dog could give canine cough in a kennel or a daycare or a training or a dog park situation Mm -hmm. or wherever it may be, there's nothing that you can do about that. You didn't plan that and you didn't do anything that caused that mishap. What we do do in any situations is we manage it. As soon as we know there's a problem, we immediately move into isolating and caring for and using products such as the Safe 4 product that we use, which is a a viricide. We clean predominantly with that. We use foot baths all the time anyway, which have got the same viricide in it. We use industry-approved disinfectants and bleaches to make sure that bacteria and any of the virus that is hanging around, if it's on a surface, that we clean it. So everything that could be done is done. Still, unfortunately, you still get people that believe that you've caused this problem. They'll scream blue murder. They want total refunds. They'll want to take you to all sorts of things, but there's nothing that can be done about it. Mm -hmm. So even in situations where it has escalated to other companies or colleagues that I've spoken to, you know, like if it went to something like fair trading, they'll come back and say, well, they did everything they could. The business actually did everything procedurally that they could do. What do you expect them to do? Like if you went to a cafe and you got COVID, you don't go in and scream at the cafe and want to close them down or like social media slam them or anything like that. And that's why I say I think this exercise of kindness happens. Yes, you should tell the organisation that there's a problem, that, that your dog came back sick and that there is an issue. And lovely people in the industry who are great clients and so forth, they do exactly that. They say, hey, I'm just ringing to let you know my dog did get sick, not blaming you and not saying that it did come from you, but just in case, or just in case my dog was patient zero and maybe Mm. brought it in, I'm just letting you know. And that's so appreciated. We really, really appreciate when people do that because that's part of a good conversation and a good relationship between the client and the business, you know, or the client and the vet to have a calm conversation where people can talk, they can relay what the problem is, and they can often talk about an amicable solution as well. As I said before, if you can be anything, just be kind. Mm, that's yeah. right. Yep. That makes me think about childcare. Yep. You know how everyone got those kids sick in childcare every month? Oh, like parents and, yeah, and families. even the whole family got yeah. sick. Yep. I, I just think this is exactly like how you bring your dog to the kennel or daycare. Mm. Same thing. They may bring the virus home. They may get sick for a few days. So very similar. But you don't. You never go and you know yell at someone at the daycare and say. Oh, sometimes hey, they do. It's getting at the childcare. Yeah, sometimes it's getting worse. Oh no! But yeah. it's just like it's it's not something we do it on purpose. Right. And there is a patient zero that brings it in. Exactly. Like it's not living there. It's not just sitting on the floor waiting to jump onto a dog. Mm. You know, like a dog will have to bring it in because the environment of a kennel is hostile towards parasites and viruses and bacteria and so forth. If it's cleaned properly, 
like if they're using the products that they should be and the staff are cleaning properly and so forth, it should be hostile to anything else other than a healthy environment. Mm. So there shouldn't be a reason that it's in there. But if a dog comes in asymptomatic or even symptomatic and it's not seen, it doesn't need to be there for long before it can, as you said, it can, you know, it can discharge it, they can shed around, it can sneeze, it can cough. Um, It can go into a yard where then other dogs will need to go out and exercise and play and toilet and everything like that Mm. and suddenly there is an issue yeah good point it's all about communication it is always coming back to communication talk to your vet talk to the daycare facility explain what's going on maybe we can work something out to you know save the situation quicker and sooner i love it yeah well, we might leave it there. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Rainbow, for coming in and sharing My your pleasure. knowledge. We might get a, another case that we want to talk to you about in the future. Would that be cool? Yeah, of course. Not a problem. Great. Well, I think one day we might even get you back to talk about acupuncture and go through some significant details that Sounds we touched good. on a little bit, but yeah. we'd love to talk about some case studies and so forth. Love to do that. Tell us where we can reach you. Tell us all, all your professional details. Oh, okay. So I am a vet from Aussie Mobile Vet Team. So we are mobile vet in the Sydney CBD area. Myself, personally, I serve the Hills District. So mm-hmm. I can go to Pennon Hills all the way down to Blacktown area. And of course, I do acupuncture, so I do travel around for acupuncture cases. Mm-hmm. We have Instagram, Facebook, so go and check us out, Aussie Mobile Vet. Aussie Mobile Vet. And what's your website? AussieMobileVet.com.au. Yep, great. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Rainbow, for coming in and sharing your knowledge, as I said before. It's wonderful to have you. And also, it's wonderful to have you as our treating veterinarian. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. for My pleasure here. Well, we love having you here. You're so good and you're always smiling and you're always so, <laughs> you've always got a big, beautiful smile and you're always happy and the whole team love you. So Thank you. Uh, and you're always so efficient with your work as well. So thank you so much thank and you, really Tim. appreciate you. Hey, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode. I hope you got something of value of it. Don't forget, if you're in the Hills area in New South Wales and you need a, a travelling vet to come and see you, you can reach out to Dr. Rainbow at Aussie Mobile Vets. And we'd also love to thank our show sponsors, which is Pet Resorts Australia and Canine Evolution. And you can find them at PetResortsAustralia.com and CanineEvolution.com.au. And don't forget, it's spelled canine, not the letter K and the nine. Thanks, everybody. Look forward to speaking to you on the next episode. 